What an amazing service so far. Waymaker, miracle worker, it's so great to see everybody excited for the great things that God is going to do. I probably should have said no when uh, they asked if I wanted to share this this afternoon. Uh, I remember last Sunday at my own uh, congregation and feeling broken. And I don't, anybody ever feel broken? Just every, it can be anything. Sometimes I feel broken with sin that I'm afraid to tell people about or sometimes I feel broken because I got people I love so much hurt and so bad. I don't know what it is, but it's just sometimes you just feel broken. Maybe you feel broken today. And I remember last week at my service saying I just felt broken and God did something incredible at the service even though my message was kind of blah. But uh, I, I love that about God. But, but I, we were talking here and, and, and I, I get on this plane, I'm getting ready, okay, I'm going to do a service, going to do a service. I'm like tired and I haven't slept. I'm like, okay, I got this. And then you be, I want to be spiritual, I want to be right, I want to be good with God. So I'm like, okay, God, give me a word, give me a word. I'm like, okay, must be the word. I write it all down, I get it all together. And it was, wasn't bad, but it, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't God. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, like I, I got a glimpse, I got a glimpse of where God wanted to lead. And, and then I'm like, oh, and the rest of my tiredness and my own brokenness and my hurt and my tired and my exhaustion and my emotional got in the way a little bit. So I'm not sure where we're going right now, to be honest. Uh, so all I know is that we're going to still use the scripture that I originally felt led to, to use. Uh, and we're just going to throw out all my notes. Uh, and we're going we're to take it from a slightly different direction. Um, I can't even reuse my crocodile story. You know, last somebody said, oh, you're going to talk about fighting the crocodile. Because if anybody heard the message I preached about two months ago in uh, Sunningdale, I talked about fighting a crocodile. Um, so I can't use that one again. But... No, you know what? Something has struck me so deep in the last little while. We, we celebrate, we come here and we can weep and we can shout and we can say, God, I need a miracle. And God's the way maker. And God's the, God's, oh, he's going to do all this incredible stuff. But something that struck me as so incredibly important and powerful about the word of God is that actually, aside from some of the incredible supernatural more often than not, Scripture points to the miracles coming when we're obedient. What I mean by that is God says that outside of a few supernatural cases that we see, the miracle, might, the miracle for your neighbor might be from you. You know, we pray, God save the lost, and then we sit and wait. Where do, God, where's my miracle? You know? You know, and we look at, we look at Jericho, and they say, he says, walk around the wall. They wanted a miracle. They're walking around the walls of Jericho did not collapse the, the city. Let's just be real. You know, I have actually read articles where scientists were like, so, it, you know, it vibrated the soil enough. And, and then the Trump, that was, I'm like, are you kidding me? It had nothing to do with them walking, but they still had to walk. God can do a miracle with or without you, but the very nature of who God is, is that he says that miracle I'm going to ask you to be a miracle today. I'm going to ask you. So I, I read through scripture and I say, let's look at the spiritual gifts. And none of this is from my notes, so you'll have to find that on your own. And we say, let's look at the spiritual gifts. And, you know, a, a word of encouragement. That's a word of encouragement from God through the Holy Spirit. Not for me, but for you. 
and a word of knowledge or a, or a prophetic word. And we look at all the things that God says he's going to do. The very purpose of the Holy Spirit is that God makes you a way maker. You know, God makes you that miracle bringer. That's, that's who we are as well when we are, when we are tied into the body. When we are tied into the Holy Spirit, we become somebody's way maker. We become somebody's miracle bringer. And I was thinking about that, and, and I, I thought, you know what? I, sometimes I get frustrated. Uh, I spent many years working with youth. That was part of my who I was. And, and then I spent eight years doing missions in, in Mozambique. Uh, and then my dad died, and, and God said, you're going back to Canada. And I'm like, no, I don't like that. Um, I remember, I'm, about, I'm a bit rough around the edges. I'm not as polished as some of these master's degree uh, preachers out there. And I remember my first service, I said, guys, you guys know the story of Jonah. Does everybody here know the story of Jonah? Do you know what I'm talking about? God tells Jonah, go, go to Nineveh. And he's like, no, I'm going to Tarsus. And, and uh, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And then the big fish came and swallowed him and, and consumed him. And, and three days later gets vomited back up. And now he's got to do what God said. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 I know the story. I, know the story. I said, you're my Nineveh. And they were like, what? I said, you are Nineveh. It's super offensive, obviously. Nobody wants to be here. Not you guys. You guys are awesome. But, but I remember, look, they're like, Rick, we're so excited to have you. And I'm like, you're, you're my Nineveh. Don't want to be here. I'm working really hard not to complain under the trees until the worms eat it all up. Because I do not want to be here. Because everything was amazing in Mozambique for me. People, people wanted to, when I, when I told people what the Bible said, they were like, thank you. And they wanted to do it, you know. Come home and I'm like, this is what the Bible says. Like, How dare you. I'm like, but it's what the Bible says. And I, so, so what, what frustrates me, though, is that in all of this stuff, you know, you have to obey God whether you want to do it or not. Um, and, and, yet, and yet then I, get, I work with all these young people, and people come to me all the time. They're like, they're like Rick, Rick, well, you know. And I would say, Pastor Rick, Pastor, because apparently I know I got some sort of special connection, right? It's like, what do you think God wants? Like, I'm trying to figure out God's plan for my life. What's God's plan for my life? And, and I'm reminded that... that we are people who are supposed to be miracle bringers. We're supposed to be way makers. And, and yet we want a plan for where I'm going to be in five years from now. Because in five years from now, I'm going to be the leader of a church and I'm going to be a way maker then. Or, or, or I'm going to be a miracle bringer. And we make all these plans. And my wife worries a lot. And so she, she I, I don't care what everybody thinks about tattoos. I'm not going to get into that spiritual debate. But, but... She did happen to get a tattoo of a, a cross made of, of flowers and with a verse there that reminded her that, you know, tomorrow has enough worries of its own. And you know how that is. Tomorrow, you know, don't worry about, you don't worry too much about tomorrow because it's got enough worries of its own. Do you know what the same, worrying and planning go together. Do not plan too much for tomorrow. God's got enough miracles for you to do today. And sometimes we spend all this time going, where does God want me? What do I do? How, how, you know, where am I going to be in five years? The best way to figure out where you're going to be in five years is start moving forward today. Start being a, a, a way maker today. Start being that person today. And as you move in this path today, guess what? God's going to open up more doors. You're going to do it with your body. You're going to do it with your, your church family. You're going you're gonna to grow and, 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 and God's going to just shine a light onto where you ought to be because it's going to be where you, where you shine. It's going to be when you live the life that he made you to, to live today. You know, you know, everybody talks about, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, for all the plans I have for you, but let's remember it, it was first 70 years of suffering, so we're going to skip that verse. Um, 
Instead, we'll go, we'll go to Romans 8, 28, which is also not in my notes. You know, it says, and God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You see, we just want all things to work out for the good if we show up here on Sunday. And we're going to pray and it's all going to work out for good. Hallelujah. But that's not what it says. It says, called according to his purpose. You have a plan. It's not your plan. It's God's plan. Stop making it. Stop trying to make God's plan for your five years. I, I think I've got it figured out. Can you all pray over me and verify that this is what God... You know what? What are you doing today for God? So somebody asked me, they said, well, how do... Like, okay, well, how do I know... How do I know what God's plan is for me? I'm like, it's simple. Anybody know? Who here knows? Who here knows? They asked Jesus, they said, what's the most important teacher? What's the greatest command in the law? What's, who, who, who's got the greatest command in the law? Who knows it? You can say it if you want. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbors yourself. Bam. That's God's plan for you today. Love God. Love people. And loving God seems pretty easy. You know, if they love me, they will obey my command. So like, don't do all the bad, you know, avoid the bad stuff and do the good stuff. That's all great. But loving people gets a little bit more difficult. What does that mean? How do I love people? How do I do it? Like, how do I do it? And I was... One of the things that struck me a while back, and one of the things that, that kind of led me to part of my notes here, actually, eventually, is that I think God has a, I, I call it divine appointments. I think God has an appointment for you. You know, you got a doctor's appointment at 10 o'clock, you show up for your doctor's appointment at 10 o'clock. But the problem with the appointments that God makes for you is he only tells you they've been arranged when they happen. It's a little bit like prophecies, right? You read prophecies in Scripture, like I wonder, I mean, people study like hundreds of years to figure out when something's going to happen, and then Jesus shows up and like, oh, oh, that's the prophecy. It's a little bit like the God's divine appointments. He makes a plan for you for today. And he's got this divine appointment for you today that you are going to change somebody's life, and you're not going to know about it until it's ready in front of you, just ready to happen. And so if you want to know what it means to love people, like God would love people, everywhere you go, you got to ask yourself, okay, God, you, that's how you start the day, right? You say, God, which is my divine appointment today? And so you get, you get to the shopping center and, you, and you're buying your food and you're like, okay, is this, is this my divine appointment? So you're looking. Hey, you're looking tired. You're looking frustrated. Man, that guy was real mean to you. Are you okay? Can I pray for you? Bam. Somebody needed to know they were loved and they got it. Somebody treats you like garbage and things all go wrong and you have to forgive. Bam. Somebody knows what love looks like. You see, your divine appointment happens when you are ready to jump at an opportunity at a moment's notice. It's when you wake up and you realize, sometime today there's a surprise appointment. I can't even normally make regular appointments. Um... I, I missed one the other day. I needed something from the doctor. And I missed my, my phone appointment because COVID, right? Now they, now they call you, right? And, and I'm like, I put my phone down for like five seconds. I went upstairs. Phone rings. I didn't hear it. Go back down. I was, oh, I missed my appointment. Do you know? Because, but, but the whole day I'd be going like this. Oh, that's not where my phone is. You know, I do this. You know, like, okay, my phone's over there now. But I'm like, where's my, where, where, when's this? And I think with God, we got to be the same. Get up in the morning and be like, okay, what's my appointment today? What am I going to do? And I'm reminded of Acts chapter 8. It's just a story that, that always strikes me as a divine appointment. Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's it. We'll stop there for now. 
go. Philip doesn't go, what, what am I going for? What's the plan? Where are we going to be? Am I going for this? Am I going for this? He just says, God just, God just go. I need you to go that direction. He's like, all right, I'm going to go that direction. That's how it starts. So he started out. No idea where he was going. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the, oh, I can't say that, of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Okay, go to that chariot, stay near it. Am I going to find my notes again? Because I made it way too small. Need glasses. Okay. Oh, there we go. That's way better. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth. In his, humilia in his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. I think there's more, right? Yeah, there we go. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say, say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself as Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all towns until he came to Caesarea. It's actually a pretty bizarre story if you read all the, like, the details of it, eh? So, so Philip's walking along, and God's like, go. He's like, all right. And he just starts going. He just, he just starts walking in a direction. Because God knew that at that exact moment, when he, I, we don't know how long the trip was, but he's just walking. And God's designed, he knows where the Ethiopian's going. And it just so happens <clears throat> that their paths cross. And then God gave the second step. Chase that horse, okay? Chase that chariot. And so he's like, all right. And he just starts running. He sees this. God designed this. He sees it. He just begins running. And he catches the chariot. And you're like, okay. Catches the chariot. What does he do? Clearly, he, he's got an idea. He starts to talk. Hey, what are you up to? What are you reading? Do you know what it means? Well, no. So again, he just asks a couple questions. How's it going? You know, what does that mean? Do you know what that means? And God opens the door for an incredible conversation, an incredible conversion. And then immediately, we don't wait, we don't wait. We know what God wants, and what repent, be baptized. He says, all right, well, let's get baptized. So they baptize the guy, and then I'm trying to figure that, that last part out. Okay, when, when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. Just baptized him, and boom. God takes him away, and he appeared somewhere else. Unfazed, apparently, he just begins preaching. Okay, well, this is where God's want me now. This is where I'm going to be. Anybody got a map? Do we know where we are right now? What's the day? Where am I? But the point being of all this stuff is that, is that Philip chose to just start moving his feet. And if he had delayed, he would not have met the Ethiopian eunuch. So, oh my word, 
then God's work wouldn't have been done. No, God told Philip to run because he knew Philip wouldn't delay. Okay, like God didn't have to worry about it because God already knew if you call anybody else, they're going to wait and say, well, I don't have my master's degree yet, or I don't have my this yet, or I don't have my that yet. But, but Philip, Philip was told to go, and so he went, not knowing what it would look like. He ran. Every single day, we've got to run towards God's plan for us. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Everywhere we go. And it reminds me that sometimes as Christians, what we tend to be is we tend to get a little bit hung up with good Christians, hang out with other good Christians, and we do good Christian things together. And so we become a group of good people actually not at all living out God's plan for our lives. We feel amazing. The greatest worship you could ever imagine because we're all such good people. The greatest, the greatest message is because we get all the right people in. The greatest this and the greatest that. And we feel so amazing. And God's sitting there going, I'm trying to get you to go. A healthy church is exhausted. You know, they will run, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. A healthy church needs the Holy Spirit to keep them from being done. When church gets too easy, we're doing it wrong. And I know that about my own church back home too. I said, man, it's just too easy. We're doing something wrong because God's plan is never for us to just stay here. Not doing anything, not moving, not reaching the lost. Do you know, we tell people to love God, love people. And we all say, but I do love people. Now, we got a lot of water here. I see people surfing all the time. I tried the other day, did not work. Um... I don't know what happened, but I could not even, me and Mike tried actually, and uh, he went way too far, couldn't catch a wave because he was way too far on the ocean. Whee! And I went way too close and just got hammered every time they came in. Between the two of us, if we'd found a spot in the middle, it would have been epic. Um, or if we had skills. Um, but I want you to imagine you're sitting on the beach, because we all know that. We all know the beach. We're sitting on the beach. And just in, just a little bit, there's a little three-year-old. Just hit to the water, boom. Spun around, starting, oh, this, that. Three-year-old's drowning. Hmm, this three-year-old's drowning. Oh, I'm, sur I'm videoing my buddy in the background surfing, right? So I'm just, I'm going to keep videoing. Somebody's going to save the child. And at the end of the day, finally a lifeguard comes running and drags out a lifeless corpse. Dead. You're like, tell your buddy, look at this. I actually caught that on video. I caught that on, I actually caught that. I have that epic story of the drowning, the, the heartbreaking story of the drowning three-year-old. I got it on video. Do you think anybody around you when you were showing everybody the video that you took of the drowning child would say, would they say this is a man who's a good person or would they say this is a person who has no idea of what love looks like? They're going to say the second. You know, we, we keep, you know, there's a saying one time that says evil prevails when good men do nothing. When good men do nothing, they, they cease to be good men. When good men do nothing, they cease to be good men. When godly men do nothing, men and women, when godly men and women sit and do nothing, we cease to be godly men and women. And so I was thinking about this as I was preparing what's clearly not in my notes. My phone's already shut itself off. But, but what I was pondering this and I thought, love is being ready for every divine appointment that God puts in. When you're sitting on the beach, the first time that little one starts falling off, you're already standing up. You're, okay, I think I'm going to have to run in here. Nope, and bam, you're in there. It's being ready at all moments to do the right thing. 
at the, at our, at the last Olympics, uh, I, it was at a, at a synchronized swimming thing. And so there's lifeguards. I mean, you think they wouldn't need lifeguards, but they do. Synchronized swimming. all over, The lifeguards all over the place. And they're watching. And they've become lazy. They have. They're at the Olympics with professional gold medal swimmers. And so they're watching. And this swimmer, I don't know if anybody saw that on the news. This swimmer loses consciousness under the water. And is literally drowning. A professional swimmer is drowning. And the lifeguards are not the first ones in the water. Her coach is like, oh my word, she's going to die. Jumps. You know, where's the lifeguards? It's their job to be on, on guard. And God has said, I want you to be on guard. And we're like, yeah, well, i got other appointments today. And God's like, no, you've got one appointment. It's a divine appointment. You're at the grocery store, divine appointment. You know, my dad got picked. Okay, so there's a cultural difference here, so you're just going to have to put it together. Okay, so this is many years ago, too. Uh, you don't see a lot of people. You know what, hitchhiking? You don't like hitching a ride? We don't pick up a lot of hitchhikers here, I don't think. Uh, we Actually, we don't pick up a lot of hitchhikers back home either. Let's just be real. It's never a great idea. So, so this is not an encouragement to pick up hitchhikers. No matter what you're hearing, don't go, oh, this guy says i got to pick up every hitchhiker. But my dad, pretty bold, picks up a hitchhiker. And they're driving down the highway, and the guy pulls out a knife. And he says, this is a true story, pulls out a knife, and he says, hey. Because dad's like, I'm bringing you that far. And the guy's like, no, you're bringing me four hours further. And dad's like, <laughs> and dad's driving, and he says, he says here, i got, I got a deal for you. Do you believe in God? And the guy's like, w w Why? He says, because if you do not put that knife out the window, throw the knife out the window, I'm hitting the next culvert. I'm hitting the next roadblock, and we are both going to meet our maker. Are you ready? And he just sped up. So he's, you know, he started, he was, our speed level was 100. He's like, okay, 140. Are you ready? If we're going to do this, we're going to do this right. Do you know Jesus? And the guy's terrified because, like, dad's hitting the shoulder. He's like, oh, like, like he's playing with the guy now a bit, right? And the guy, no joke. Throws the knife out the window. We're done. Okay. Dad's like, okay. Let's have a conversation. He just kept driving. And he just kept driving. He even drove the guy further than when my dad was going to turn. Because he wasn't finished sharing the gospel yet. And, and I'm thinking, oh my, like I, first of all, not a recommendation. I'm not telling you to do that. That is not our new way of, of filling this church. Okay, everybody go pick up a hitchhiker. When they pull a knife, just threaten to hit the ditch and get your car to 150, you know. But all that to say is that. My dad thinks, man, I'm going to pick this guy up. And along the journey, a knife gets pulled on him, and he's like, i got an opportunity here. <laughs> Hallelujah for God's divine appointments. I'm about to be a way maker for this man, a miracle worker, one way or another. You're meeting Jesus today, son. And they actually led, he actually led this guy to Jesus. Guy gets led to Jesus. And he, like, I think my dad drove him an extra two hours. He's like, he's not going to bring him the whole way on principle, but... <laughs> But, but he actually drove, and I'm like, and also it's, like, oh, it's a crazy, weird story, but isn't it amazing how my dad, who normally actually didn't pick up hitchhikers, he, he felt like, I'm going to do this. And he picks up this hitchhiker who was going to pull a knife on whoever picked him up. There are not very many people who'd be able to handle that situation. There are people who'd be traumatized. There are people who might fight back and get killed. There's a lot of bad things that can happen when a guy pulls a knife on you. God knew there's a guy on the side of the road about to pull a knife on somebody. He's like, hey, Dave, you can handle this. You can be a way maker for this guy today. God works in mysterious ways. But more often than not, he works through people. Are you a person who God is working through? Or have you allowed yourself to become complacent in your faith?
Because every single interaction you have on any single day has the opportunity to either lead people closer to hell because hell is real or lead people closer to heaven because it's just as real and a thousand times better. One last thing is I'm going to say here. I got, I got a friend, one of the elders in our church, he, he runs a mechanic shop. And my wife manages a restaurant. So these are just two different. And I've learned one thing from both of them. None of them, none of them love it when church people come to their places. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. See, my wife, she's got a heart to see the lost get saved. She hires these ladies and she says, you know what? Some of the men, uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to pick on men today, but it just happens to be coffee shop is where our men tend to hang out when the wives think they're at work. And, and no, no, sorry, I'm sure the wives know. They, 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 they see all the money going out of the account to the coffee shop. And... And she says, most of these women would never set foot through our church door. Because of the attitudes they heard and the conversations they overheard. Because when you are talking around the coffee table, somebody is standing beside you saying, sir, can I take your order? And when you tell a dirty joke, because it's so stinking funny, somebody's sitting there going, that was a funny joke, but is that the Jesus you serve? Every interaction is likely to be a divine appointment. Are you going to make them? Or when you get to heaven, is God going to say, hey, I had to send six people to get that guy saved. Should have taken one. Should have taken you. Or what if, what if, he says, you were the person I sent. They're not here. I have a grandmother who died that I hope and I pray is in heaven. But I preached this, fine, I just, that's, I, gotta, I, gotta, I don't want to take your whole evening. I, but, but, but hope, I talked about hope the other day in our, our church, and, and hope is a funny word. It's, it, 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 it's eager expectation for what you, what, what you believe is going to happen. You know, I hoped that my grandma would get saved. I didn't actually hope she'd get saved. It's horrible to say that. I didn't hope she'd get saved. I said I hoped she'd get saved. I said I hoped, but I wished she'd get saved. Because wishing is like when you buy a lottery ticket. You have zero expectation, but it's that glimpse that maybe it'll happen. I go, oh, I hope, my, my, I wish my grandma would get saved. Because hope means that there's an expectation. It's like, it's like your kid who does, who's in school here still? Who's still in school? I always said I hoped I passed my exams. Again, that was a lie. I used the word hope in the wrong way. There was no expectation. I was not eagerly anticipating passing my exams. I was going, Jesus, I need a miracle to pass this exam. I was wishing, because the word hope means eager expectation. If there is somebody here today that you hope makes it to heaven, it's only a hope if you have an expectation. How can you have an expectation if you haven't tried with every ounce of who you are to see them saved. Otherwise, it's no different than wishing on a lottery ticket. That God will pull that ticket and give it to them. But when you put your hope in Christ, you have that eager expectation. When you put your hope in a miracle that somebody gets saved, it means you go, I go to my grandma's house, I do you know Jesus? There's an expectation that something good is going to happen. Do you know Jesus? Can I tell you about forgiveness? And not giving up when they say I'm not into that religious stuff. I don't care. I love you too much to let you drown. 
And so today I'm going to wrap this up with a question. Is there anybody that God has called you to have a divine appointment with that you have failed to arrive? Where is your heart at? And if I ever preach here again, you'll know that when I say I'm almost done, it doesn't mean I'm almost done. <laughs> but I am almost done. I am almost done. Because it's other things. I used, to, I used to run a youth program. And I sat down with a bunch of my kids and I said, here's the deal, guys. Do you love people? They said, we love people. I said, okay, I want you to write down the list, a name. I want you to write down right now, five, you know, the youth kids said, five people you want to see in heaven. I said, okay. And I said, but then I 